What a terrible week this has been. A terrible week of tragedy and loss for the people of Sonoma and Napa counties. Um, you have your bulletin there, and I wrote that front part of the bulletin, the introduction there, on Wednesday. Those numbers that I gave you are wrong. I wish those were the numbers, because the numbers have gotten far worse since Wednesday and today. Uh, rather than 2,000 buildings burned down and destroyed, now it's over 5,700, and 4,000 of them are right here in Santa Rosa. Burned down and destroyed, 30,000 plus people have been displaced. The economic damages are in the billions. There are over 40 people now who have died and perished because of the fires. And I think what's uh, really tragic is some of them were in their homes. And because of circumstances, uh, perhaps they were elderly, maybe they had their hearing aids out, maybe they were taking medication to help them sleep. They just were, weren't aware of the danger around them until it was too late. There's still 10,000 firefighters that are out there on the front lines trying to put out these blazes. Um, those dry conditions, plus the gusting winds, plus the accidental sparks and flames from power lines that went out just spelled disaster. Many of you had to evacuate your homes. I, I know Lisa and I did on Sunday night. Some of you literally had to flee for your lives. Others of you, uh, praise God, uh, your homes were not only spared, but you were gracious enough to open up your homes to needy loved ones, family members, other people, who were evacuating and in need, and if you were able to do that, I just say, God bless you. We were, we were able to stay a couple nights in the home of Kurt and Sherry Dillon. They were extremely kind to us, even took our dog in. And they didn't even want to give him back. That was the thing. Um, so one of the questions that happens in a time like this is, is, you say, well, how do you get through this? How do you get through such a terrible time? And I believe one of the answers is you don't get through it alone. You get through this kind of a crisis together. You get through this crisis by not just looking to man because as powerful as we are, as, as technologically advanced as we are, uh, these fires have been raging for a week now and we haven't fully been able to contain them. I and mean, it's pretty amazing how... Uh, much we think we are in control, and yet how little <laughs> reality is that we are in control. We need to keep looking unto God. We need to keep looking to Him for our strength and help. And I'm reminded by Psalm 46, what a great comfort that psalm is. It says, God is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. And then it says, when you go down to verse 10, it tells us how to settle our souls, how to calm ourselves, how to get ourselves in God's presence. And it says, be still and know that I am God, that he is God, that he is the eternal one. You know, in times like this, when bad, terrible, tragic things happen, I know sometimes uh, you have doubts. I know sometimes I have questions that come up in my mind that I, I don't fully understand why God allows things like this to happen. You know, Lisa and I were very blessed to be able to pastor here at Sebastopol Christian Church. We saw this week 
especially uh, Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, how God's people jumped in this week with both hands and feet to help people who are in need. They were exemplifying and proving Jesus' words where he said in John's gospel, chapter 1 and verse 5, talking about Jesus, saying, In Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Lisa has a translation she likes now, the New Living Translation, and she says, look at the way my Bible translated. It says, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not extinguished it. We cannot extinguish the light of Jesus. The light of the gospel shines on, and the love of Christ is shining on through his people, extending his love and his grace and his help in times like this. You know, when catastrophic when catastrophic events like these raging destructive fires happen, it's very natural that we look around. We look around and we see the damage and we see the death and we see the loss and we look up to heaven sometimes and we say, God, why? Why, why Lord? Why do these bad things happen? Sometimes out of our own guilt, we, we even say, God, is, is this a punishment? Is it because we've done something wrong? Are you raining down judgment on us? Or we say, God, if, if you really are all-powerful, if you really are in control and you're all-loving, why would you allow this, this to happen? Many of us are, are asking questions like that today. Many of us are wrestling with our faith. I just want you to know it's okay to feel that way. If you've ever read the Bible, if you've ever read the Psalms, if you've ever read the book of Job, you know that, that bad things happen, and when they do, God's people look up to heaven, and they ask the same questions. When their country was being invaded by foreigners, when uh, famine was going across the land, when disaster was happening, they were looking up, and they're saying, why, O oh Lord, why is this happening? I want you to know that God has big shoulders. God can take our questions. It's not the first time they've been asked, and he's still God, and he's still loving, and he's still in control. You know, when we look to the Bible for somebody who's endured amazing loss and tragedy in his life, we don't have to look any further than the book of Job. Then a man, someone like Job, he loved God with all his heart. He was one of the most righteous men on the planet in his day. And then Job lost everything. He lost his wealth. He lost his family. He even lost his own health. And the world came crashing down on Job and, uh, and on those around him. And even his wife, and I think she probably was a good, faithful wife, but when she saw all the disaster that had befallen them, even his wife looked to Job and he says, Job, I don't know why you're still holding on to your integrity. Why don't you just curse God and die? And he probably says, oh, my helpmate, you know, thank you for that word of encouragement at that time. She said, just curse God and die. And then Job's three friends show up and they basically say to him, well, Job, if you want to know the reason why you're suffering like this, it's because you're, you have sinned. You have done wrong. And whether we know about your sin or not, or whether it's in secret, God knows everything. He knows that you've sinned. You've done wrong. You've offended him. And now, Job, God is punishing you for the wrong that you've done. But the, the truth of it is in this book, what's, the, what's so 
ironic or difficult to understand. Job had not done anything wrong. But suffering like this even led a righteous man like Job to doubt God. He questioned God. He was confused. He was angry. And he finally, at near the end of the book, it's like he's raising his fist toward heaven and he's saying, why God? I want to know the answers. Why are you allowing these terrible things to happen? And if I'm not being punished for something I did wrong, then why are you allowing this to happen? Job is an amazingly real and raw story of a person who's suffering in a severe crisis, who's struggling to hang on to his faith. And yet the great part about the story of Job is that Job, through it all, he managed to still keep his trust in God. He still managed to believe in the goodness of God. Job had his doubts, yes he did, but he gave God the benefit of the doubt. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you remember that song we sing, that praise song by, Rat, by Matt Redman, where he says, blessed be the name in a road, and then he says, in a road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be the name. You know, we like it. We always say, blessed be the name, Lord, when I'm, when I'm walking on the clouds, when life's going well. When I'm having success in my life, my health is good, my family's blessed. You know, it's easy to say, blessed be the name of the Lord in times like that. Job was suffering and he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And he said, shall we accept good things from God and not trouble in Job chapter 2? You know, I want to remind us something, one of the fundamental tenets of our Christian faith, and that is that God is the maker of heaven and earth. God is the creator of all things. God is the maker of you and me. God has life and death and eternity in his hands. In other words, God is God. And when we say God is God, we also have to admit that I am not. <laughs> and, and that may be hard for some of us to accept. God is God and you are not God. God is in control and that means that you are not in control. You're in control of certain sphere of influence, but you're not in control. You're, we're certainly not in control of whether fires can be put out on the hills or not. And yet, God being God, God being in control, and we're not God, and we're not in control, just a reminder that God is relational, God is love, and God made you and me, and God wants that living relationship with you and me. But here's the thing, God still is in control. Now you and I may think that we're in control, but actually that is an illusion. It's an illusion, it's a false view of ourselves, it's a false view of God to think how much control we think we have over life. And sometimes thinking that we're in control, that can actually delay or it can postpone us and our submission to the Lordship of Christ, our submission to God, letting God be God and realizing that I am not God. You know, in Alcoholics Anonymous and in the Christian version of that started by Saddleback Church over 20 years ago, John Baker, we got to meet that guy one time in a seminar. He's a wonderful man. John and Carol started this Christian version of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's called Celebrate Recovery. In every one of their meetings, they usually end the meeting with this particular prayer. It's a prayer by theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, and it's called the Serenity Prayer. And it's this idea of how do I have serenity in my life when life seems to be falling apart 
for me? How do I maintain serenity in my life when I'm stuck in this addiction? I'm stuck in this compulsive habit that is, that is destroying my life and it's destroying the lives of those around me. How do I ever recover from that? Well, part of the way is by praying this prayer and putting into practice this prayer. And it has a lot to do with what we can control in our lives and what we cannot control in our lives. So this is the serenity prayer. It goes like this. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. God, grant me the serenity to, to have the courage to change the things I can. And God, give me the wisdom to know the difference. Wow, there, talk about wisdom in a prayer. To have the wisdom to know the difference between what I can control, what I can change, and what I cannot change. Lord, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did, talking about Jesus, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is and not as I would have it, trusting that God will make a way for all things to be made right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next life. I even like that, that ending prayer because it says with God, with a right relationship with God, we can be reasonably happy in this life. It doesn't mean that everything's gonna go well for us, but we can be happy in that and secure in that relationship that we have with God. But what the difference is, is the reminder that this earth is not our permanent home. We're only to be here temporarily. And, and we're, our permanent home is in heaven. And so we're, we could be reasonably happy in this life, but God wants us to know that we are going with him, with Christ, who's gone and prepared a place for us where moth cannot destroy, where rust can't destroy, nothing can take that away from us, where Jesus says, I'm taking you to heaven to be with me, and we can be supremely happy with him forever in the next life. Amen? Amen. Friends, we have got to choose faith over control. Now, I want to talk about this, what we call a deep idol of control. We talked about this in our men's group on Tuesday night. There is this deep idol of control that actually in its root is based in fear. And when I say an idol, what I mean by an idol is something that takes place, the place of God. It was Martin Luther who said, you know, our hearts are actually idol factories, we are great at manufacturing idols. We are great at manufacturing things that take the place of God in our lives. And control is one of the biggest idols that we try to put in our lives in front of God. Control is a deep, under-the-surface idol that creeps in and says to us something like this. And, and I want you to hear the definition of this idol of control. This idol lies to us, and it says to us this, you know... If you can just maintain influence or mastery over this situation, if you can maintain influence or mastery over these people in your life, over your own performance, if you can control your own schedule, your own income, if you can do all that and keep all those plates spinning under control, then you will be okay. Then you will be content. Then you'll be strong and safe. That idol of control is a fundamental lie 
that somehow you think that you could be in control of everything around you, that you could bend everything to your will. Unfortunately, a lot of people believe this lie. If we have our work, if we have our income, if we have our jobs under control, if we have the people in our lives under control, it gives us this illusion, it gives us this mirage of security. It makes us think that our present and our future is going to be safe and secure. And what happens is the truth comes in and nags at us in the corners of our mind. We try to maintain control, but we realize, wow, there, are, there really are things that we cannot control in our lives. But we try to deny those, and what creeps in trying to maintain that control, what creeps in is fear. Fear uh, of, of what would happen if life isn't under control. What is going to happen if life spins out of control? We can fall into that trap of fear. We can fear so many different things. Look at the things that, that we desire to control that we really cannot totally control. We fear for our safety and for those we love. We fear losing our money, our possessions, our wealth. We fear losing our spouse or our boyfriend, our girlfriend, or significant other. We fear losing our friends. We fear being left or abandoned. I remember reading one time talking about women and what they fear, and, and even more so than men, women fear being left or abandoned. We fear for our health. We fear death. I mean, we fear for our health. I see so many people walking around with the masks on just because of all the particles that are in the air, and we're thinking, uh, what happens if I breathe in one of those carcinogenic particles? You know, the next thing you know, I'm going to be... I'm gonna be catching something and dying. We fear for our health. We fear death. We fear dying, and then we fear even how we're going to die. And so there's so many things that we fear that, that, uh, that reminds us that our life sometimes is not completely under control, that our world is spinning out of control. You know, it's interesting, the things that we fear. And then you go to the Bible, and you go to God's Word, and this theologian named N.T. Wright just reminds us in this, and he, and he talks about what is the most frequent command in the Bible. Now, I think about what the most frequent command in the Bible, I'm thinking in the Christian faith, hmm, probably love one another, probably love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. That would have to be the number one command in the Bible. But actually, as you read through the pages of those 66 books of Scripture, what you find, look what N.T. Wright says. Do you know what the most frequent command in the Bible turns out to be? What instruction, what order is given again and again by God, given by his angels, by Jesus, by prophets and apostles? What do you think that command is? Be good, be holy, or negatively, don't sin, don't be immoral. No, the most frequent command in the Bible is don't be afraid. Isn't that amazing? Fear not, don't be afraid turns out to be the number one command in the Bible. Now, why do you suppose that is? Do you think God knows us as well or better than we know ourselves? Does he know that we have this tendency to fear? Does he know that even when we try to make this idol of control our God, we suddenly realize when things like this happen during this week of fires and disaster and tragedy and loss that we realize actually how much of our life is not in our control, how much is out of our control? What are some other things that we cannot control in our lives? 
There's plenty of things that we cannot control. At the most basic level, you and I have to realize we're not at the center of the universe. You cannot self-exist, and neither can I. In order to stay alive, you need air, you need water, you need sleep, you need food, you need shelter just to stay alive. You're not in control of that. You can't control the weather. I wish we could. We've been praying been praying for the wind to stop. We've been praying for rain to come. Hopefully this next week, rain's going to come and put out these fires completely. But we cannot control the weather. We cannot completely control our environment. And you certainly, and this is hard for a lot of people, especially people who like that idol of control, is you can't control other people either. You can influence them. You can try to set an example for them. You can try to threaten them with punishment, but you cannot control other people. There are so many things in our lives that are really outside the sphere of our control. And friends, that, that leads us right back to God because the only one who really is in control is God himself. God, he is the source of everything. Everything starts with him. Life came from God, not from us. God is the boss. God is the maximum authority. That is where our faith in him begins, that he is God and we are not. And some of us have a hard time letting God be God because we want to maintain control. We think somehow if we work hard enough and plan well enough that everything is going to turn out just the way we want it to. And oh, if that were only true. Unfortunately, the idea that we can be in control of everything, that is a lie. And so spiritual health starts by admitting that lie. Call it out and start replacing that lie with the truth that God is God, that he's in control, and that I'm not in control. But what God wants me to do is to depend on him. He is my source. God is going to be my source for everything. Let me ask you this week, were you able to maintain control over the weather? Could you stop the wind? Were you able to keep the fires from spreading? I wanted to. I really did. Were you able to turn the electricity back on in your home? No, as much as we wanted to. Were you able to turn the gas back on in your home? I hope you didn't try. At least you're here. <laughs> Other than not exploded. I'm glad that we were able to go back to our home. Our, I'm we feel blessed. Our home was spared. The electricity's back on. You know, it, it's nice to, to be back home. Uh, but we certainly weren't in control of that. God is the one who's in control. He's, his role is to be our source, our provider. Our role is not to try and control everything. Our role in life is to, to depend on God and let him be our source. And it's very interesting. That's where health comes from. Because the more we learn to depend on God and less on ourselves, the more we rely on him, we discover something unexpected. The more we yield to God, the more freedom and victory and blessings that we actually experience. Our burdens can be lifted. Our worries don't have to cripple us. We discover that God, our Heavenly Father, He is our source and He is more than ready and He's more than willing and able to help us as we lean on Him. That's why we say God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. The Apostle James was talking about the future in James chapter 4. There's another thing. 
that we try to do in, in exercising this idol of control is we try to map out the whole future. We have our retirement plans. We have our, the, the 401ks and all these different investments and all these different ways that we're going to make the future uh, turn out just the way we want and comfort us in that way. And James reminds us, and he, and he says this, he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And I just want to pause right there because Lisa and I, she was saying this earlier, we went to bed on Monday, on Sunday night, and we had no idea the week that was going to be ahead of us. And I don't think anybody here did either. We had no idea what the future was going to hold. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow, James says. What is your life? Your life is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You know, that sort of just takes an ax right at the root of our ego, doesn't it? <laughs> you, are, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, what you ought to say is this. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this and that. I remember first hearing that phrase when Lisa and I were missionaries down in Chile. And the, the people, the other Christians and the pastors of the churches down there, they would say, si Dios quiere, or uh, 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 según la voluntad de Dios, vamos a hacer esto o este otro. They would say, if God wills, or if God wants, Lord willing, we will see you tomorrow. We'll see you then and there. And I remember thinking, what do you mean, Lord willing, tomorrow? Until you're reminded of this verse and saying, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. God is in control of that. Our job is to depend on him. And that, that just goes back to the fundamental question. The fundamental question for you and for me, who is on the throne of your life? Am I the Lord of my life or is Christ the Lord of my life? That's really the ultimate question. Are you going to try to be God and have complete control over everything in your life? Or are you willing to let Jesus have control and the leadership of your life? I mean, who do you think of the two, you or Jesus? Who do you think would do a better job of governing and managing your life? I think Jesus wins that one. So when we fear, when we do have these fears... And the Bible's, I mean, because the number one command in the Bible is do not fear, I think the assumption is a lot of people are going to be fearing and have that, that kind of anxiety about what's going to happen in the future. When we fear, what should we do? Look what the psalmist says. He says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Not if I'm afraid, not if I, in a weak moment, I start to fear he says, no, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. When we fear, we're to trust in God. When we fear, we're to look to God. And when we fear, we are to pray to God. Look what it says in Philippians and chapter 4. It's talking about being anxious. It's talking about ha having these worries and these anxieties. And so even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, when that happens, when you get fearful, when you get anxious about your life, when life seems to be spinning out of control and you say, God, I, I can't solve this on my own. I cannot manage this. This is, this is beyond my ability. God, what can I do? And God says, you can come to me and you can ask me for help and I'll be there to help. 
says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Prayer is communication with God. It's having a conversation with him. Supplication is a fancy word that means I have a need, God, and I'm asking you to meet my need. Supplication and then with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving in the middle of the prayer. Thanksgiving is, is an exercise of faith. Because thanksgiving is, I haven't even seen God answer the prayer yet, but I trust that he's my heavenly father and that he loves me, and he's not only going to hear my prayer because of Jesus, and it says when we come to him in the name and the authority of Jesus, he, God hears us, so I trust that he's going to hear my prayer and he's going to answer this, and, be, and in faith, I can say with thanksgiving, Lord, thank you that you're going to meet this need. Thank you that you're going to answer my prayer. Let your requests be made known to God. And when we do that, and when we trust, and, and I get this, when we give our anxiety over to God and don't keep it, because I think that's what a lot of us do, right? Rick Warren talks about being a living sacrifice, you know, like it says in Romans 12. Offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And he says, you want to know the trouble with us Christians? Is we offer our, to God our bodies as living sacrifices, and then right after that prayer, we crawl off the altar, because we don't want to be that anymore, right? So, so it says, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. And I want to say this to you, and I'll talk from my own experience. The peace of God does not come to me when I'm anxious and I pray to God, and then I walk away from that prayer and I go right back to the worry and anxiety. Rather than saying, God, I'm trusting in you to answer that prayer. I'm trusting in you to meet that need I have in my life. And when I trust in God, when I give that prayer over to him and depend on him as my life, as my source, as my provider, then I can have the peace of God. So that promise of the peace of God is, is what God is going to do and also what I need to do is to maintain my trust in him. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to go to Luke's gospel. There is a, a long passage in Luke's gospel where it talks about who's in control and who's not in control, about being able to trust God with all of our needs and not to depend on ourselves, not to depend on our own ability to handle it all. And, and so we're going to go through this uh, a little bit slowly. But given the time, I'll probably hurry it up. It says, therefore, I'll tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you eat or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? So God says, you're way more valuable than that. Sometimes the, 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 the problem that we have as human beings is our ability to think ahead. You know, it's, it's a blessing and it's a curse, right? Because we can plan ahead and make, you know, uh, provision for good things to happen in the future, but we can also worry about the future thinking disaster is going to happen. What happens if, and oh no, and the sky is falling and all those worries and anxieties that we have. And it says the beauty of the ravens is they don't worry about tomorrow. They just, they just go out and do what they need to do today, and God provides for them. And you know what Jesus says? God's going to provide for you too. On to the next slide. This passage continues. It says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? The only thing it adds to my 
life is a little more gray hair. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? We can't add hours to our life. We can't solve all the problems of the future. We are to trust God instead. Next slide, please. Then it says, consider the wild flowers and how they grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. If that's how God clothes the grass which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And then finally, it says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. Your father knows that you need them. It's like sometimes we, we say, God, I have this need, as, as if he doesn't know, as if he doesn't know what we need. He knows what we need. And your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Now, that's how in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel it ends, right? It says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will add all these things to you as well. But in Luke's gospel, Luke adds this one more verse. So he says in conclusion, after saying, please stop worrying about all these things. God knows you have needs. He, he's gonna, he says he's going to be our source, our provider. We can depend on him. And so he says in conclusion, do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And when God gives us the kingdom, he gives something that can never be taken away, that moth or rust cannot destroy. It can't wear out. God's kingdom is eternal. And in this world that is so transitory, that's something that we can hang on to as an anchor for our souls. Two verses, and then we're going to conclude. The first one is this, whether or not we're afraid, this is what God wants us to do. Not trusting in, in any outside source other than him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Trust in God, not in myself, not in my ability to control everything, not in my ability to manage all this crisis. It says, trust in the Lord instead. Trust is a firm reliability in somebody else. In our case, it's our firm reliability on the only one who's trustworthy, the only one who doesn't shift around, transitory, here today, gone tomorrow, you know, temporary. God isn't like that at all. God is eternal. He is the only one who is completely reliable, God himself. Look what Jesus says. And I remind you, this is from John's Gospel, chapter 16. This is Jesus while he's in the upper room with his disciples, hours away from being arrested and going to the cross. You think Jesus wasn't filled with a little anxiety and stress from a human level? And yet look at these words of faith that Jesus says. He says, I've told you these things so that in me, and I should have put that in yellow, so that in me you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome to the world. Jesus knew he was going to the cross, and yet he had peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, God has paradise waiting for us, but for right now, we live in this fallen world. We live in this world where things can be taken away where nothing seems to last forever, where as much as we try to control and manage our lives, we have to remember what we can control and what God is in control of. 
And God is in control of so much more than us. And he says, I want you to depend on me. I want you to trust in me with all your heart. I don't want you to depend on these other things. These other things are lies and illusions. They're only going to lead you to fear because you can't control everything. But if you trust in me, who's in control of everything, that fear is going to be replaced by contentment and peace and joy. So that in me, Jesus says, you will have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And he went to the cross and he suffered, but he didn't stay, he didn't stay in the tomb. He overcame the world. And he offers that same thing to us. Will we pick up and take it? Here's the truth. God is at work in unseen ways. He's at work in our lives in unseen ways for his glory and for our good. And so if God is for us in that way, then really, who can be against us? Let's pray. Lord, when we are afraid in times of crisis like this, when we lose the ability, or when, or when that illusion is shattered that somehow we can control and manage and manipulate everything in our lives to turn out just the way we want it to so we'll have security, so we'll have peace and safety, Lord. I pray that you'd remind us to take our eyes off of ourselves, take our, our, our focus off our own ability to solve all our problems, and Lord, let us look to you. Let us find that in you we can have peace. I pray, Father, that you'd teach us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, to not lean on our own understanding. And Lord, if there's somebody in this room or if there's somebody that's listening right now and they don't have that peace, they don't have that contentment of being in a right relationship with you, Lord, I just remind them of these words. Jesus said, for as many as received him, for as many as received Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So it's all about believing who Jesus is. It's about receiving him into your life. It's about realizing that God is God and you are not. That God has made a way for you to be in a right relationship with him through his son Jesus, through his sacrifice for you on the cross. And he wants you to turn to him in faith. He wants you to repent of all the wrong things you've done and turn to Jesus in faith. As many as received him and ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. And commit your life to follow him. Because if you do that, the promise is to them he gave the right to become children of God and to belong in God's family forever. Lord Jesus, thank you for that promise. Thank you that, that heaven is ours, that eternity is ours, that you have a home waiting for us that is gonna be our permanent home that nothing can take away, no fire can destroy, nothing can, can keep that from happening. Lord, we put our trust in you. We trust in you with all of our heart because you have overcome the world. Thank you for that victory. And we trust in you and we love you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.